Welcome to From Idea to Action, Stories from Alabama Innovators, a podcast powered by the Hudson Alpha Institute for Biotechnology, a nonprofit organization with a mission to improve the human condition. I'm Carter Wells, and I lead the economic development efforts here at Hudson Alpha. From Idea to Action, Stories from Alabama Innovators is a podcast that highlights the people who are driving Alabama forward. We aim to showcase and connect the deep network of innovators, entrepreneurs, policy leaders, and advocates who are working to make Alabama an even better place. If you're not yet subscribed to this podcast, you can subscribe wherever you listen. Be sure to follow Hudson Alpha on all social media platforms to stay up to date on what's happening at the Institute, as well as to stay up to date on new episodes as they are released. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you learned something new about Alabama innovators moving ideas to action. Welcome to another episode of From Idea to Action, Stories from Alabama Innovators. Today, I'm at the University of Alabama in Huntsville with the Dean of the College of Business, Dr. Jason Green. Dr. Green, thank you. Welcome to From Idea to Action. I appreciate you being here today, or appreciate you allowing us to be here with you today. Well, thank you. So as we start off with each of these interviews, kind of give you the floor for a few minutes to tell us a little bit about you and your background and how you got here. All right, sure. So as you said, I'm currently the Dean of the College of Business here at the University of Alabama in Huntsville, where I've been for the last seven years. I moved to Huntsville seven years ago to become Dean of the College of Business. Prior to that, I'd been serving in an interim Dean role at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, Illinois. Go Salukis, uh, yep. is what we used to say. And this represents sort of my second round in academia. I started my career teaching finance after getting my PhD in finance, teaching at Georgia State University. And I was there for 10 years. And I like to tell the story that I thought I'd be there for another 25 years. I thought I'd finish my career at Georgia State. Loved what I did, teaching students at all levels, but had the opportunity to go into industry and worked for several years on the leadership team of an institutional investment manager. We managed about $50 billion of mainly large cap equities for clients all over the world. That was a great experience. I loved it. I'm a finance geek, so we'll admit to having a lot of fun there, learning a lot, getting a great opportunity to work with some good people. But I would say throughout the three years I was there, I always felt the calling to come back to the university. And I did come back changed, of course, and really came back with a bit of a different mindset in terms of the mission I was on to have an impact on young folks. And so that's really how I view my role as dean here is trying to facilitate the impact that a college degree or a graduate degree can have on not only a young person, but the entire community they work in. So having that background of not just your academic background, but having the industry experience, you said you came back changed. Yeah. What was the perspective or what was an example of some of the change that you saw within yourself as you came back to lead students instead of maybe in, in specific portfolios? Yeah, so I came back with a renewed understanding really of how practical they needed to be. Certainly the book knowledge, the theories, the tools they needed to learn are critical. In fact, I would say in the real world, what I saw is that I ran into some folks who maybe could have done well to have remembered some of those lessons, okay. right, about theory, but to have an impact on them and to help students to be able to apply that. And that's really where I came back with a passion for hands-on experience, for students actually learning by doing 
And the need, of course, don't get me wrong, the book knowledge is critical, the theories are critical, because it gives us a framework and a model to understand the world. But then that step where you have to apply it, you need practice at that. And really no one is good at something the first time they do it. So the idea is to give students a chance to learn by doing in a safe environment. And so I would say that kind of summarizes the mission that I was on and coming back in sort of my second tour of academia. Of academia. And so that really colors or the filter as you're here as the dean of business. And as you're preparing students, I want to talk about a couple of the different initiatives that you have. But maybe first, what are you telling students, whether they're perspective coming into as an 18-year-old or in that early stage of your college experience or as they are exiting? Yeah and going into a career? what's Maybe what are the differences in those two conversations? I think the, and I get the privilege really as dean to talk to our students when they are coming in as Mm -hmm. freshmen and then as they progress through their careers. And one of the things I tell them is that this is a four-year journey that they need to engage fully in and recognize that it's a practice, right? You don't just go to class and then all of a sudden you're an expert. You need to actually practice it. And we have a saying in our college, it's practice makes professional. It's not graduation day, but where they become a professional, Mm -hmm. it's throughout their four years here where they evolve as a professional. So that's really our philosophy. I think we're very fortunate here to have a great set of faculty and staff who embrace that. And they are with the students every step of that journey, trying to help them make that progression. And on that, how do you move from the academic setting into the practical world I think we're sitting in at least one of the rooms for the capital management group. And then upstairs is where your cybersecurity lab is located. And I remember a couple of years ago being at y'all's ribbon cutting, even in a mask at that point. But those are two areas, probably more on the capital management group, that's really close to your heart from as a finance person. But then also from a Huntsville area piece not exclusively by any stretch, but definitely from a Huntsville standpoint of the need for that cybersecurity focused and the practical applications of that. For both of those, what's the genesis of it? And then where do you see both of those areas progressing moving forward? Sure. So along those lines, again, the practice makes professional Mm -hmm. kind of idea is that we give students the opportunity to, again, learn by doing. And we try to do that throughout all of our majors. So we have majors in accounting, economics, finance, management, marketing, information systems, concentrations in supply chain management, analytics. These are all things that are needed in our community. So our students are going to be much better professionals when they graduate if they've, again, practiced that. This finance lab that we're sitting in was a place, okay? It's a physical place, Mm -hmm. but what's more important is the work that gets done in here. Thanks to great community partners, in this case, TVA, who provides some money for the students to manage. And they do this with universities throughout the Tennessee Valley. Our students are managing part of what I believe is their nuclear decommissioning trust, and they make the investment decisions. Now, it's within a set of guidelines, which coming from that industry, it really is close to my heart. Right. And it's a lot like working for a client, right? What we used to do at our investment firm. So students get that experience of having to make investment decisions, not for themselves, but for a client. Right. And within certain parameters that's that right. the client is putting those fences around. That's, and, and that's right. They have a mandate from the right. client that tells them this is the part of the portfolio that we're assigning to you, Mm -hmm. and they have to stay within that. They have to report to that client on an annual basis. So it's not just about the performance. It's about did you follow our guidelines. 
And the students take that very seriously. We're sitting at the boardroom table Mm -hmm. in the finance lab, and behind us are some computers where the students do the analysis. So they're getting that the hands-on practice with the tools. Then they're having to sit around like they would in the real world, sit around a table and really convince each other that their decisions are what they should do on behalf of the client. And maybe defend past decisions. So they have to come back after their, okay. There's some built-in accountability there among their peers. And they have that accountability with the client as well when Mm -hmm. they report to the client. So these are things that I saw firsthand, right, Mm -hmm. in the real world. So we've been doing this here at UAH for more than 20 years. And John Burnett, one of our finance faculty members who founded this group, poured his heart and soul into this and did an outstanding job really of developing it, his idea was to help students make the transition from the classroom to the boardroom, Mm -hmm. hence the boardroom table, by the way. But it's a great program and really our flagship in the sense that it's been around for 20 years. So our idea has been to take that and to give that kind of opportunity throughout our curriculum whether it's in information systems. So a cybersecurity lab Mm -hmm. was an investment we made. And again, using real world tools. The community that we have here, we have an information systems advisory board who helped us understand what they needed from our graduates coming out. And so the cybersecurity lab is built for students to work as a team. So Mm -hmm. it's a collaborative learning lab. What you come in and see and what you might have as a vision of a cybersecurity lab is rows of computers. Well, actually it's pods. There's certainly screens there for students to share their work with each other, but to collaborate, sort of like in this room where they Mm -hmm. sit around the table and defend those ideas. So they're going to collaborate with each other to solve problems. And our advisory board told us, hey, that's what really they're going to do for us when they come out. We solve problems for our customers, our clients. That's what we need them to do. We're going to expose them to the same tools that are being used in the real world. Again, our advisory board advised us on the cloud-based tools that um, right. that they're using, and we provide those for the students. And again, in that environment, in this case, they're doing some simulations, they're doing some competitions, capture the flag type competitions. We have a great faculty member there, DJ Hovermail, who just is energetic in getting the students engaged in that hands-on learning. He actually brings some hardware out also and puts it on the tables but also getting them involved in competitions. So it's really them in that transition, going from learning about it to implementing it. Final stage of that that I'm gonna mention is we've gotta get them out of here too, right? Right. So there's a lot that we've invested in, in the college and physical, and then in sort of certain our human resources, great faculty, but it's also in supporting students in making that next step through an internship, we have faculty doing projects with um, with organizations. Hudson Alpha, right, by the way, is right. one of those, mm-hmm. which we're thrilled to have a collaboration with Hudson Alpha, but offering them the chance to look at real-world data. For example, in our analytics program, students are using data from real companies, solving problems for them, presenting those solutions. So it's um, about getting students internships, and then at that graduation date, again, it's less of a big one event where they become a professional and it's, they've made that transition. So right. they, in most cases, the students kind of transition from an intern to a full-time employee. With the cybersecurity lab, that kind of technology has got to be refreshed fairly often. Your advisory group members, are they talking about technologies? Are they talking about, you said they're talking about the different problems that they see. Is that a challenge for y'all from a university standpoint of 
okay, we want to stay up to date on the things that our students need to prepare on so they're able to take that next step. Is that a, it's got to be a, from a budget challenge and things like that. But if you're trying to put people into positions right. on day one, so to speak, after they right. graduate, there's going to have to be knowledge of here's the tech that needs securing yeah. at that point. Yeah. So there are a couple of ways to look at that. So one is absolutely technology is changing. We need to stay up to date. One way we've addressed that when we first started thinking about our cybersecurity lab, we looked at large investments in hardware and the infrastructure to support the hardware, the cooling and, and things like that. Yeah. One thing that was, in fact, not intentional, it wasn't done as a cost-saving initiative, but it really was our advisory board saying, there's really no point in teaching students on hardware in the classroom. Everything we're doing basically is in the cloud. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not that some people aren't using real hardware and things right. like that. But we made the decision to really invest in cloud technologies. And I say invest in cloud technologies. That was really investing in human capital. Our faculty, in fact, one of our faculty members has gone out and he's certified on AWS and all kinds of right. other things to bring those technologies into the classroom so that the cyber lab in some sense is virtual because a lot of the tools are in the cloud and they evolve quite naturally. Because of that, what we have to do is stay up to date in knowing what is out there, what mm -hmm. people are using. And that's really, again, a human capital investment. The other thing I'll say about that is that we recognize that what we're teaching students with these hands-on tools will be what they might use for the next five years, right? So what's important to us about using the hands-on tools, it's not teaching them the tools. So we're not training them on a tool necessarily. We're helping them learn better by implementing it using a real-world tool. And we think that that will better prepare them to, in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, be able to adapt to whatever technologies are, yeah. are the latest and greatest in whatever industry they're in. And right. it's a little cliche, but we always say we're preparing students for jobs that don't exist yet. Absolutely. But um, it's the problem-solving. It's right. the what's your problem-solving process those types of things that, regardless of what is sitting in front of you, should be able to, within reason, follow some of the same patterns. Yeah. But then also kind of, since we're talking more on the innovation side, to be open or to strike your own path on certain things, even using some of the tools that you've already learned. So that's absolutely right. So it is, in fact, I'm glad you, you mentioned the word. I mean, what's been kind of in the background of what we've been talking about is that innovation side, mm -hmm. right? That adaptability, the flexibility to be in a different environment, but apply the same problem solving skills, the same critical thinking, the same analytical skills, and to bring those to bear on new problems and use them to find solutions. So that's really what we do in the university. That's what separates education from training. Got it. Are there other things, at least in the idea phase of whether that's the capital management group or the cybersecurity lab that you have that you can mention here? Maybe that might not be too defined yet, but things you are leaning into? Sure. So there's one that we're excited about that we've been working on for some time, and it's been one that's hard to do just because of, by its very nature, it's almost individual. It's not systematically applied, and that is creating an entrepreneurship experience for the students where students can start up their own business. Mm -hmm. So we at UAH have a building called the Invention to Innovation Center. It's uh, the I2C. Mm -hmm. so it's just adjacent to the College of Business, attached to our building. 
where it houses entrepreneurs, startups, it has some skunk works of companies. It's a center, a hub of innovation, if you will. They hold events there. We've rented one of the offices there for okay. students, and the college business rents the office. It's actually open to any student at UAH. So right now, there are a couple of engineering students from UAH who have a company, if I can give a shout out to the company, sure. uh, Core3D. They're a prototyping business. They've done really well. They're doing really innovative things to serve customers who need a prototype of something. They do some 3D printing production. Right now, they've been using that office space. And what we're building around that is more of a program where we can run students through, in essence, an, either an incubation-type program or an accelerator, a startup right. accelerator program. That's the one that we're working on. We don't have a formal launch date, but we're working to launch that. We've got some great faculty who are in the innovation and entrepreneurship area. So excited to see that really come to full fruition right now. We have that innovation lab available to us, but putting that academic program around it, we're excited about. I'm not sure if it's one or two or three founders of that company. How are you engaging them or how are they getting to you to know, hey, these are the things that you can leverage here at UAH to be able to move whatever that idea is at that point? How do you engage them or how do they reach you? Partly right now, what we're doing for them is providing them a physical location, mm -hmm. so a space. What we're working on is that structure to put around them, including mentorship. So we've right now informally introduced them to mentors. So some of our partners are working as mentors good, to good. them, excited about it. And as well, so as we work on that formal program, that's a part of it is how to structure that. And I think things when we build something is how do you scale it as well. And so that's the hard part. But it's also the really interesting part of how to support innovation and entrepreneurship for our students. And I think once you have that first group in and other people can see this group is getting some support this way, how do I get into that pipeline? You always want to have that success or have that flag bearer to a certain degree to be able to kind of kickstart something like that. And okay. especially here at, in a university setting, you're going to have so many different resources from the human side to yeah. be able to leverage, which is really something that's valuable kind of across the board. Right. Real quick, back to the cyber and the capital management programs. I would imagine most of your advisory groups are local, regional. I would imagine some of those people, they might be working for a national or international company and things like that. What's the reach with those two work, the capital management and the cyber side? So reach is two ways. So we do have folks on our advisory boards. Mm -hmm. We have an overall college advisory board where we have advisors from throughout the country. I don't think we have any right now that are outside of the country. The logistics okay. end up being a little challenging. A little challenging. Yeah, sure. But we do have some use technology to engage them. They've been great. Many are alumni of the college going out and doing amazing things in their careers, and they're wanting to give back. So we're very fortunate that they are generous with their time and not only give us feedback and guidance on our curriculum, on what we're doing strategically, but also what's in it for them is they get to interact with our students as well. Yeah. So our students and our, our stakeholders really benefit from that. Um, many of those on our advisory boards are also, as you kind of alluded to, they're folks in our community. One of the things I love about Huntsville is they recognize how critical it is to make an investment in this community. So our partners here are really committed not to just, say, writing us a check. I mean, that's great. That helps us. Resources are scarce and need that support. But what I love is that these folks engage with us 
it's an investment of their time, of their effort, and they've got an interest in that, right? right. And I recognize that. So we've got to deliver on that. And they're right there beside us as partners. So the reach, it's a heavily concentrated, there's a local presence on our boards. That's intentional. The reason that's intentional, our business school, when we set out our strategic plan back in 2018, we most recently updated it. We talked about, okay, we aim for excellence. I mean, we have outstanding faculty who publish research in the same journals people at UCLA, University of Chicago are publishing, and they're capable. They could be at many other universities. They choose to be here. They love our students. They love being here. That's great. And they talk about, okay, we could be number one in this or number one in that. But I think we have a shared resolve that if we're not serving our community, well, it doesn't matter if we're number one nationally in this program or that program. Right. We are the University of Alabama in Huntsville. Every community member I talk to tells me that the one problem they have with our program is that we don't produce enough of our great students. And so that's our challenge. Sure. We have good quality programs. I think those who hire our students as interns, who hire them as graduates, who send them to our graduate programs as their employees are going through it, they appreciate our faculty's commitment to excellence. They appreciate that our faculty work hard to keep the curriculum up to date. Again, they're partners in that. But the key thing is, is that we're producing students who are very knowledgeable and good at what they do that's relevant to Huntsville. Right. So that's been our focus. And I would say Huntsville is kind of a proxy here, too. If you can be successful in Huntsville, you can get a job anywhere. All right. And we have students that do that, right? Um, they leave. Most of them stay in Huntsville to start their careers, but many of them have opportunities outside. Boy, I've got about six questions after that, after <laughs> those statements. But I think maybe first, just because the podcast is directed not just to the North Alabama community, but from a state standpoint. And if you were providing advice to another person in your position in a university that's larger or smaller or whatever it may be, you've got the 20-year history of the capital management side that you're engaging with the community. And then now two years, roughly, right. formally. I mean, you've been doing cybersecurity before you had the lab, but with that specifically, to be able to engage in a community, whether it's size Huntsville, smaller, larger, what advice would you give to your counterpart in a smaller community that would have a university presence or a two-year presence? How would you advise them to engage their community or why would you do that maybe so first? This is one of the things, was a reason I came to Huntsville, but I'm not sure I fully understood the benefits of it. And what this community has taught me is it's competitive among the organizations mm -hmm. here, right? but it's also about the community side of it. So the advice would be to really engage those stakeholders. And by the way, those stakeholders in a small community might be those who are within a 30-mile radius, but it might be those who are in the next urban center 50 or 100 miles away. In mm -hmm. fact, that was the situation I had at my previous institution. Mm -hmm. And it brings a bit about some challenges in terms of how to engage them. We're fortunate that most of our stakeholders or many of our important stakeholders are local, mm -hmm. but not all of them. We have companies that we've talked to in Mobile, for example. There are companies in Mobile that have reached out to us in Birmingham as well to be partners. And we're excited to engage with them because, again, we believe that those are great opportunities for our students. It's great for the economic impact of the state and what people in Huntsville recognize is that a rising tide truly does lift all right. boats, right? right? And 
hey, if I don't win a certain opportunity, if someone in my area, or my state can win it, that's going to be good for all of us. Right. It keeps the opportunities coming our that's way. Right. I think, especially on the cyber side, then that's really a focus into the community. You are producing the workforce for something that's very much needed. And that had to have had many, many conversations with the local stakeholders. So in other communities around the state is really engaging the stakeholders of your community, but also listening to what they need as well, because you don't want to produce, you don't want to focus on a workforce development and an academic pipeline that doesn't have anywhere to go locally. That's a great point. And again, where we're very fortunate. So when we talk about our practice makes professional, our emphasis on helping students develop as professionals, we can deliver on that because of a great base of local stakeholders who are willing to invest also in our students as interns. Mm -hmm. Again, it's great for them because they get this experience with them. And I think the students bring something of value in that. But we're fortunate a lot of our students will do multiple internships. 58% of our students, by the way, have an internship before they graduate, which is a very good number. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think, enabled by the fact that we are in a vibrant community that has those kinds of opportunities for students to do it while they're in school. So they can do it fall, spring, and summer. Right. And I think I mean, a complete believer in the internship process. I've got two people that are on my team okay. that I've been both bio-trained interns at Hudson Alpha and one that's now going through the, the MBA program here at UAH. And so having that, whether it's a nine-month, three-month, one-month test drive, mm-hmm. both directions. Right. So they understand what they're getting into to a certain degree. And as the employer, you really understand, okay, this person is going to be the right fit. I think those are, as I've talked to people some in certain areas around the state, or they may not embrace that or take advantage of that, frankly, as much as I think could be utilized just because you really get a sense of, okay, this is the right person. It's so tough from a hiring point of view to make a mistake on a hire. And if you have some of these test drives, so to speak, those are incredibly valuable that allows you to do so many other things. Absolutely. Let me see. You've got a lot of other, uh, kind of going back to the partners and things like that, anything from the individual to the financial community to some of the engineering and defense companies, are there other areas within the school of business that you want to engage, whether that's here in Huntsville or across the state? I mean, you're part of the UA system, so you've got networks in at least two other cities, and that makes sure that that's always a huge network to be a part of is the UA system. Are there other areas within the department, within the college of business that you're looking to find new partners, whether that's on the accounting side or the marketing side or wherever it may be? Yeah. So accounting is one of those areas. In fact, I'm glad you brought that up. We actually have great partnerships with our local Mm -hmm. accounting firms and looking to even deepen those partnerships. Nationally, a number of accounting students is dropping. They're sounding the alarm bells. We're sounding the alarm bells. We, of course, prefer more accounting students to fewer. (laughs) And mainly because we look out in our community and see our accounting firms need more accountants. And that's kind of a theme across the board here is that the urgency for us to, say, increase enrollment or, or get more students in a certain program really is driven by the demand we see in the community. So we're always looking for new partners to find creative ways to do that. What are the gaps? What are the reasons that 
we don't have as many accounting students? Is it financial? Do they just not understand what the profession is? I talk to students all the time and push them and talk about the options they could have if they did this major or that major. So partnerships there. We have a new business analytics degree that is pending some final approvals sure. that we're hoping to be able to announce here soon at undergraduate level. We've had a master's in business analytics for more than half a decade now, and we're looking to fill the demand in our community mm-hmm. at the undergraduate level. So extending some partnerships there, as well as on the marketing side. And We're fortunate. We've had SAIC, who's really been generous in supporting some of the technologies in our information systems program. We've had Bryant Bank as a partner who is providing $100,000 a year in scholarships to students in business. That generosity is huge, and that partnership is huge. We're talking to some other companies now that really it's about deepening that partnership and helping us fulfill our mission, which hopefully feeds their success. Sure. Is that thinking about the partnerships and things like that, it is something that maybe goes back to one of the folks in our, or one of the companies at Hudson Alpha that started out as Conversant Bio and now is Discovery Life Sciences. And the CEO at the time, and this has been probably seven, eight years ago, he needed business people, whether that's the accounting, the marketing, whatever it may be. And he reached out to UAH and said, It's a scientific project. Now it's a remarkable 800-person company, but then it was getting started. And to be able to pick up the phone and have a warm reception to a conversation of, I need people, can you help me, to a university, which might not be the first call that some people in that entrepreneurship life might not be the first call they make. I would always encourage, and maybe this is not necessarily directed towards you because you're in the place that this happened, but that entrepreneur to be able to reach out to their college, university that's in their community or close to it and say, this is what I need. I need some help with this type of profile for a workforce. And if it's already there, then great, because now you can focus it in. But just to be able to have that conversation of, can you help me? find the right people, just that leaning into one another from that small business or entrepreneur to the academic institution, which is that practice to professionalism, to professional mindset. You want your students to have a place to go after they leave these halls. And I just would encourage anybody to be able to make that call if you're the entrepreneur. And then if you're in a position like you are, to be able to receive that and work with that. I'll mention, so we have a, a career and internship advisor in our mm-hmm. college of business and dedicated to our students and our partners in the community. I would say this is something that, that sets us apart is our interest in kind of working with folks like that. Mm-hmm. You asked earlier about what advice was, would I give to a counterpart at another institution? I think some institutions get caught up in, honestly, some of the metrics that go into sure. um, rankings and things like that, Absolutely. and they have numbers. So when you have a college that's 6,000 students, you're trying to place 1,500 of them a year. You need an employer to come in who's going to recruit 50 students at a time, right? right? That's great. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Students have great careers, and that makes an impact on the community. And we have employers who do come to us with multiple positions. But probably most of our employers and most of our students will be the only graduate from UAH, actually possibly the only college graduate hired that year by that Mm -hmm. company. A lot of our companies are in that range. 
And our career and internship advisor, Mona Furugi, does an outstanding job of trying to understand what the needs of each company are and trying to think about, okay, which students do I want to make sure don't ignore this opportunity, right? right? And vice versa, which students should a company be talking to? She certainly doesn't play favorites, but she makes sure that all students are aware of what opportunities are out there. And we have students who have interest in going to work for well-represented here in our community, large firms, and they're great firms. But we also have a lot of really great and interesting startups or smaller firms. And these are great opportunities for students. They can have a huge impact not only on the company, but it can have a huge impact on the students. So we're really proud of that, that we have students who in some cases are getting in on the ground floor, in some cases going to work for a company where they'll work for many years in their career and be very proud of being a key part of a company. So that's what makes it important for us to make sure these are creative, innovative thinkers, right? right? Good problem solvers, because in many cases, they'll wear a lot of hats at those right. companies. And just to have the idea or the you're laying out the information for them, if you feel much more comfortable being one of a hundred or so, or, or are you going to thrive with, I'm a team of six, right. those types of things. And those are going to be hard to just figure out without having the conversation, both with the potential employer and with that individual. Well, does start with a conversation, but even better than that, some of the firms are in a situation where an intern might oh, be all, you know, all, yep. all they can do at that point, right. and the intern goes and works and helps the company grow to where that's a full-time position. Right. And we have they work a, into a job. That's right. Yeah. That we have quite a few of those examples yeah. in our college, and those are very rewarding to see that our students can go in and have an impact even as an intern. So yeah. that's a great opportunity for and those person. from a resume side of things. Yeah. That's only for resume building. But it's the, I did something of value. It wasn't just a make coffee and copies type of internship. It was something of substance. And so, so I've got two questions to wind this up. And while you do, we've talked a lot about some of the collaborations and partners, but who around the state would you like to share an idea or collaborate with on any specific project? I'm going to start with one that we're working on. Okay. okay? So right. a bunch of the universities in the state are working to host an international entrepreneurship and innovation conference. You know, I'm not going to name or announce sure, because sure. it's not mine to announce, but excited about that collaboration. We're going to have a Huntsville component to it if all Great. goes as, Great. as we intend. And again, going back to what I really appreciate is we're competitors. Don't get me wrong. I prefer a student to choose the University of Alabama and Huntsville for all the right right reasons, which I can give them. But we all work together as well, recognizing that, especially as public institutions, Mm -hmm. really have an obligation to do what's best for our state. And we're excited about this opportunity because I think it'll shine a great spotlight on innovative things going on here in Huntsville. Looking forward to Hudson Alpha being a a key part of that as well. Great, great. Okay. And then the last question, and this is the crystal ball or your aspirations for a crystal ball, but what's the headline that you'd like to see in three years? And that can be specific to UAH or the community or the state or whatever kind of dealer's choice on your end. I'm going to be a little cute with that and say the headline that I'd love to see in three years is that UAH is more than just a great business school. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. Well, Jason, thanks very much for being here. I've enjoyed the conversation and I always learn something new when I'm talking to you and I appreciate the time today. Thanks to Abby Rusi from Hudson Alpha and Clark Dunn from Beyond Rockets for making the podcast happen. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a good review and tell others about the podcast. And Jason, thanks again. And I hope everyone 
has a good afternoon, and I hope you'll download our next episode and hear from another Alabama innovator. Thank you, Carter. Good to see you. This podcast is powered by the Hudson Alpha Institute for Biotechnology, a 501c3 nonprofit organization working to improve the human condition through genomics research, bioscience education for students of all ages, and creating economic opportunities for entrepreneurs and innovators. This podcast is intended to highlight innovators across Alabama who are moving ideas to action, and in doing so, making our state an even better place to discover, innovate, start a business, and raise a family. Thanks so much for listening to From Idea to Action, stories from Alabama innovators.